0: you're listening to the red Sea podcast part of the over the monster network
1: red sox fans have longed to hear it the boston red sox are world champions
0: hosted by
1: jake Devereaux. it's gone it's in And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam! I'm telling
0: you, it's time to party! Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my regular co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back for another edition of our podcast. How are you?
1: Good. Vacation's over and back to the... I wish I could kind of keep taking a vacation from this team.
0: <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. I think we could all use a vacation from the consistent losing that the Red Sox have been doing. Um, right now, as we're recording this, we're recording this at 9.05 on Sunday night. So that means that the Red Sox are currently down 4-1 to at the end of the sixth inning um, as we record this. Yeah, um, so the past week since we've spoken, Keaton, hasn't gone very well for the Red Sox. In fact, it's gone about as bad as it possibly could have. Um, the Red Sox are now 6-15. and They lose this game, uh, which it looks like they will. They will be 6-16. Um, that is the worst record in the American League. It is the second worst record in baseball, barely better than the Pittsburgh Pirates. We've got a negative 40 run differential coming into this particular game. Um, it's really, really bad for them right now, and they've lost some kind of heart-wrenching games too. I mean, the 8-7 to seven loss um, to Tampa Bay, then they got blown out by the Rays three times, then they've got blown out by the Yankees two times. Um, this game that's actually currently on right now is one of the closer uh, games that they've actually had recently. Yeah,
1: and I mean, they got blown out. But at the same time, like, they scored seven runs, five runs, eight runs against the Rays, and those all came in losses. They scored five yesterday. Uh, <laughs> normally, I mean, a lot more often than not, five runs is going to be enough. Uh, seven plus, you should certainly win just about every one of those. Uh, this pitching is so bad even when they score 7-8 runs, uh, they still lose 17-8. So it's not, not much the Bats really can do to help that situation. Um, they're kind of doing their best. So, it's, I mean, it's quite obviously the pitching, and uh, it's not really
0: going to get any better. No, and, um, you know, the pitching has been sort of historically bad for this Red Sox team, and you pointed that out on Twitter. You had kind of a fun stat about that yesterday.
1: Yeah. Um, prior to the 2020 season, the Red Sox had never given up seven or more runs in four consecutive games. And now this season in just a short 21 games, they've done it on two separate occasions and their current streak is at six straight games and counting. Uh, I guess uh, one thing to take away from this game is at least they haven't given up seven runs yet. Mm. Um, only holding the Yankees to four currently, but there's still um, you know at least two at-bats left for the Yankees. So, We'll see.
0: Yeah, so the Red Sox as a team um, heading into this matchup today had a uh, 6-10 ERA as a team, um, which is so far and away the worst in baseball in terms of ERA that uh, the next closest to them was the Mariners at 5.75. And then it gets incrementally better from there. So 5.75, 5.69 to the Phillies, 5.64 to the Diamondbacks. All this is to say that that gap between the Mariners and the Red Sox for the worst is much larger than the gap between like the Mariners and the next three uh, worst teams. So it, they have been uh, really in a league of their own in terms of the amount of futility on the pitching side. It's, it's really somewhat of a brilliant uh, act of futility.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I guess that's one way to put it. <laughs>
1: uh, it certainly hasn't been fun to watch. And I know we had a few questions about, like, where do they go from here? Just, they don't have anybody to turn to. And at this point, um, I don't know why they would put effort into it. Um, but I mean, they're they're far enough behind now. Like, they would have to pass every other team in the division to kind of make something happen. So I'm not – I wouldn't expect really anything to happen as we get to the trade deadline here.
0: No, to, if anything, there'll be sellers at the trade deadline, um, and you know, really, the only starting pitching asset that has a decent ERA at this point is Martin Perez. After 21.1 innings pitched, he's got a 3.38. Um, Nate Eovaldi, after his last outing, is up to a 5.93, which is pretty terrible. Um, his FIP and xFIP are are a little bit better than that, but. Martin Perez has really been the story here. Colton Brewer has been okay out of the bullpen. Phillips Valdez has been great. Um, going further down, hembry has been really good. Osich, when he's been able to pitch, has been serviceable. Um, Brennan Workman has only thrown 5.2 innings pitched because Renicky doesn't know how to manage um, and doesn't seem to put him in uh, at all. Uh, and like Matt and I were kind of saying last time we were on a podcast, if he's waiting for Workman to have the lead in the ninth, the dude's just never going to pitch. No.
1: Safe so opportunities that are going to be few and far between. And there's been a couple times now. Um, first time it happened in the first series, I kind of gave it a pass just because the Red Sox bullpen is, it, I mean, it is what it is. But there's been a couple times since there where we've gotten to like the seventh or the eighth and it's still been a close game and they had a chance to, it would, it's been either tied or they're down by one or up by one. Um, and he has an option to use Workman um, to keep it where it's at and get him innings. And that's kind of surprised me.
0: Yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, you need to start showcasing Workman, if anything, because teams want to see more of Workman headed into the trade deadline. Because he's a prime candidate to be moved in a year where Red Sox really don't care who's closing out games for them at this point. No. Yeah. Um, Matt Barnes though on the pitching side I think he's been sort of my biggest surprise like I I was obviously much more optimistic than everybody else with Martin Perez and I'm happy about that but that doesn't come as much of a surprise to me that he's like pitching okay but Matt Barnes pitching to a 6.75 ERA is really surprising to me
1: Yeah super surprising and I mean the walks have just gotten exponentially worse This year, up to almost eight walks per nine, and his K per nine significantly down from the previous two years. So it's not exactly what we wanted to see in a year where maybe both of these guys could have been moved. Uh, I'm not sure really how much interest is going to be in Barnes now,
0: which was a bit of a silver lining for us. And he's getting hit super hard. So, you know, Marcus Walden, who is one of those guys we talked about who we both kind of trusted heading into this season, has been getting absolutely obliterated and he's given up so far an exit velocity of 93.2 on average. Matt Barnes has given up a team high exit velocity of 95.4. That's shockingly high. Yikes.
1: Yeah. And that's equated to a 28% home run per five rate, which is absurdly high.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's not what you want, man. Um, it's crazy that Heath Embry has been like the star of this whole show. Um, what a weird, what a weird year. Seriously. Um, <laughs> in in addition to all this, though, uh, Andrew Benintendi uh, is on the IL now um, with a sprained right rib cage. My dog is like eating her foot behind me, so sorry if you can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Andrew Benintendi finally like went two for three um, the game before he ended up injuring himself, um, and you know maybe maybe he could have turned into that into some sort of a positive here, but, you know, he wasn't even given the chance. So it's just like very 2020 Red Sox that as soon as he starts to hit, um, he, he finds himself on the IL.
1: Yeah. I don't think a stint on the IL is going to be all that bad for him either. Cause it's going to give him you know, at least 10 days to kind of get his head in right space to come back. So, um, well, I don't think this is a phantom, uh, IL stint, um, like I think some people have been expecting, with maybe more than a few (laughs) Sox players. Um, I think him coming off of a game where he was actually getting hits and kind of making things happen, uh, coupled with time off to just get his head right, I think should do him well. At least I hope.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that if there's anybody who needed a little bit of a timeout to kind of reassess things and maybe even just watch some – film of him being successful in the past um you know that's Andrew Benatendi if, if I was the team I would not only uh prescribe some some R&R and some rehabilitation and stuff but like just watch that 2018 World Series DVD a few times and yeah. you know watch your own catch and like start to remember you're a really freaking good baseball player man yeah completely agree yeah, I mean, he's just such an important part of um, what a successful Red Sox team looks like, um, and they need to get him going, even if that means, like, Andrew Benintendi's not going to be part of the long-term picture. Maybe Bloom wants to use him as a trade piece, but nonetheless, like, we still need to get this guy going, so we'll be looking yep. for that to happen uh, soon um, when he gets off the I.L., couple more notes. Uh, Josh Taylor is really close to being activated, Um, so that's a good sign for the bullpen. He was one of the best players out of that pen last year. And then the Red Sox claimed third baseman Christian Arroyo off waivers from Cleveland. Um, Arroyo was a former former first-round pick of the Giants in 2013. He has not lived up to the billing. Um, So I have two questions for you, Keaton. Who goes down um, when Taylor actually ends up getting activated? And uh, the second one is, what do you make of Arroyo, the former first-round pick? Um, I mean, you could play
1: bullpen roulette for who goes down for Taylor. Um, And they've already sent Weber down once through waivers. Um, Maybe they do that again. I just kind of doubt that he'll be claimed by anybody, but they've got a few candidates that um, it's just the bottom list of names in the bullpen. I guess the only two that I would think would be safe would be Workman and Barnes, and maybe maybe not Barnes if he continues to do <laughs> what he's doing. He um, does
0: still have two options, but you know, they, yeah. they, I don't I think, think an,
1: they can do that. With I don't games. think there's an obvious candidate, but there's a, certainly a handful of guys. Uh, and Arroyo, um, I'm not entirely sure what to make of it. To be honest with you, um, I don't know where he fits. Like the infield is actually one place where they don't really need depth. They actually kind of have enough guys there. So I'm not entirely sure what to make of that. Maybe they just kind of figured former first round pick. Maybe we've got something. Why not try
0: Yeah. And in Heimblum's team, the Rays is the team that traded for him from the Dodgers in the, uh, Evan Longoria deal when they sent Evan Longoria to the giants. So clearly there is some sort of history there. Um, he hasn't really had any success in the major leagues since he came up. He made his debut with the Giants in 2017, and uh, across that entire time in the major leagues, he's had 71 games where he batted 215, 283, 342. So likely this move is basically meaningless for the Red Sox. They got this guy for free. Um, they're going to see if yep. they can correct some of his issues. Maybe catch lightning in a bottle here. Um, As we've seen this year, it has not had a lot of urgency. The way that Renneke has managed the team uh, is not very urgent. It's a bad group. Um, So they will probably give him some run to see what they have in Christian Arroyo. But it's likely that this is just a meaningless move. Yep. Um, On on the Josh Taylor side, though, the guy who I would kind of like to see go down um, would be... Who has it? I had it right here. Um, I would kind of like to see Marcus Walden go down. Walden or Brazier. Those would be the two. Because Walden is just so not himself right now. And I think that that's a guy that you can maybe work with at the alternate site for a little bit. And I'd love to see them get him back on track. Because we know that when Walden is going good, like he can get out good major leaguers.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe that is an obvious candidate. That's a good point. I just, I'm just kind of over this bullpen in general. Been <laughs> over <laughs>
0: it for a while. Yeah, It's not a lot to be excited about, man. <laughs> no,
1: not no, there all. isn't. We don't even have Joe Kelly out
0: here starting fights, so it's no entertainment to it at all. Yeah, I mean, who knew Philip Spaldes would be the most exciting thing about this year? But <laughs> yeah, here we are, uh, 2020. Um, As a team, uh, I'm sorry, not as a team. Um, The Red Sox did have another um, debut this past week. Um, Kyle Hart made his debut for the Red Sox in the rotation. Uh, Was not good. Uh, In his first start, he went two innings and uh, posted an ERA of 22.5, which means, I'm trying to remember how many earned runs he gave up. He gave up five Earned runs in two innings, including two home runs. Um, okay. So I just want to go on a little bit of a rant here for a second about this. Sure. I was expecting, well, I wasn't expecting because when Matt and I were talking about this, I was hedging way more than Matt, who's seen him a few times. Um, and he's the classic, like, command profile type guy, 19th rounder, shouldn't really make it to the big leagues. Some of the parts type of guy. All of his pitches are okay. None of them are above average. But when you get to the big leagues and you have this profile, as we've seen with Ryan Weber, who's basically the exact same pitcher, um, you need to be perfect in order for this to work effectively. And Kyle Hart was not perfect. He left a bunch of stuff over the plate, as evidenced by the two bombs that he gave up. But the Red Sox simply can't have these types of players up in the major league rotation. It's just not going to work. Um, I'm someone who always favors a command first guy over a stuff guy. But a command first guy doesn't mean a guy who literally cannot pitch in the zone. If you cannot pitch in the zone as a pitcher, you have zero chance to succeed or else you know, of extremely limited chance to succeed, you need to have at least the ability to get a ball over for a strike, whether or not that's a breaking ball or something else, I don't know. But he couldn't get anything over for a strike uh, without having it get hit uh, to oblivion. So um I'm done with this. This type of guy for the Red Sox, they need to start throwing out guys who have at least some sort of an out pitch, whether that's like, sending up Mike Schwarin and his slider-first approach, or someone who actually has stuff like Tanner Houck, who has a fastball that can be flat, but at least it has great velocity. Um, he's got a slider. You know, He's got a bunch of pitches that can actually get you out. We need to see those types of guys because the hearts and the webbers of the world cannot work at the major league level.
1: I agree with you, but it's the same same point like i don't really have anybody else they can turn to instead i mean you halk is a good point um i would like to see him get some time um Mada and that's it
0: yeah i mean start just <laughs> start these guys clocks maybe i mean okay so for me i'll say that the guys who i want to see i want to see tanner halk next i i don't see how you don't bring him up um If you want to bring up Mike Schwarren, sure. I think we kind of know what Mike Schwarren is. But then I want to see Jay Groom. And I know that seems crazy, but he's 22 years old. I know he hasn't pitched at all, but sometimes as an organization, you need to take a risk. And I actually think that this is a risk worth taking, considering you have to protect him for Rule 5 this upcoming offseason. You're going to have to add him to the 40-man or expose him. He's going to get picked up if he gets exposed. So I think they're going to protect him, especially with this shit bag of a roster that they have right now. I don't really see the downside to bringing him up. He has three potential pitches that can get batters out. Um, Let him develop at the major leagues. It wouldn't be the first time. They did this for years. Let it happen, man.
1: Kind of agree. But at the same time, the Red Sox also kind of have a track record with pitching prospects, pushing them too soon, shattering their confidence and completely ruining them. And if they think they have something in Groom, I'd like to see him
0: actually like work his way to the majors rather than just be thrown in the deep end. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the argument. I just think that the the position that this team in is in right now is a desperate one. Yep. um and I think that that requires you know measures that you wouldn't normally take, especially with that impending rule five coming up you know the the guys had terrible luck, only like seventy professional innings but man, fastball's good there's the curveball's sick just let the dude pitch i'm i i get both sides of it man, but like that's i feel like very passionate about this. Lately, um, with Jay Grew. Yeah, I mean, exposing
1: him to Major League innings probably isn't a bad thing. I guess it depends on just what his usage would be. I don't think just letting him start would be great. Um, but letting him face Major League hitters, um, like in a 17-5 to 5 game. Sure. For the last inning or two. Um, and just getting him some exposure so he can just see what a taste of it is like. That I think I agree with, but I don't know about just let him go wild. But, I I mean, we just keep coming back to it. They just don't really have any other options. (laughs) The pitching staff is so bad. Um, Like, I mean, what else else
0: can they do? Yeah, I don't know. Um, And I guess this opens up another question here um, about Josh Taylor, who really – I mean, uh, not Josh Taylor, Darwins and Hernandez – who is also not very far away from being activated. We've both been on record, Keaton, and and Matt is with us on this, saying that Darwinson's best role is out of the bullpen, and I think it risks confusing his development a little bit um, to try him as a starter. But with, I mean, Chris Mazza pitch tonight, Um, Zach Godley is bad. Uh, Kyle Hart is not a major league starter. Have you changed your mind at all on what he should be when he comes up? I mean, are, are you changing your tune about him pitching out of the rotation? Um, no. I mean,
1: if they want to use him in a bullpen day as the opener for two innings, maybe three, then that's fine. But lengthening him out to try and go five, no. I think that would mess with the development. Um, the openers that keep throwing out there keep going three innings and giving up five runs. So, if they thought maybe they could get through the first 3 innings and not be down 5 to nothing, then sure. But I I wouldn't want him in there for very long.
0: Yeah. Um I could I would be fine with that to some degree, I guess th- to bring this full circle. I would rather see them pitch throw out Jake Groom as like an opener and use and Hernandez as a follower for like two to three innings at a time. So you're not totally confusing his role. Then I would having him actually start a game. You know, I, I kind of, I'm pretty adamant about the fact that his best role for this team, the next good Red Sox team is going to have Darwinson Hernandez as a shutdown multi-inning reliever. Um, I'm sure of that. At least that's how I feel about it right now. So, I would really like to see him used in that role. Um, and I don't want to see them kind of screw him up the same way that, like, Daniel Bard is the guy I always think about with this. Yeah.
1: I mean, is there a major difference if he, you know, like, fast forward a year from now and if Aldi gets through five? Assuming he's still here. Uh, and Darwin's and then pitches the sixth and the seventh as a bridge to um, Barnes and Workman. Although I don't know how many of those names will actually still be here in a year from now, but they're here now, so it fits the example. Um, is there a difference between him going two innings in like the sixth and the seventh versus going two innings the first and second
0: inning? I think only the mentality. And I think you have to know your guy. You know, <laughs> clearly it affects some guys um, more than others their role that they're in um, when you're pitching at the beginning of the game, as you know, Keaton, I think you pitched some, right? So like you need to, you know, be pitching um, out of the windup. Yeah, I guess they could continue to have him pitch out of the stretch, even if he's starting to. Um, but I guess a lot of the little things that as a reliever, you have to worry about more, like how to manage runners on base and um, sort of managing your tempo of how you're pitching and what you're showing guys early in the game versus kind of coming in as a reliever and thinking, I'm going to give this guy my max effort stuff, my best stuff right off the bat. I think it can kind of confuse the way that you approach hitters. So if they told him, like, I want you to pitch like it's the sixth and seventh, even though it's the first and second, and allow him to still pitch out of the stretch and basically throw all out, I don't think that'd have as negative an effect As if they were like, hey, we're going to throw you out and see if you can go five. You know, I think that would drastically change his approach. Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's why, I mean, I guess we don't really know how they're going to use him. But if they are using him as an opener, I wouldn't expect him to go more than two innings anyway.
0: Yeah, so I guess to say I will not have a problem with that. I'll have a problem if they start having him turn over the lineup. Yeah, I agree with that. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Um, man, gin and tonic is the only thing getting me through these Red Sox games at this point. (laughs) Um, let's get to some listener questions here. Um, we have a ton of them today, so we're going to get right to those. Jeff Wax has our first, and he says, what's more painful? Listening slash watching a Red Sox game or being forced to listen to one hour of the Helen Reddy, uh, the Las Vegas years, uh, I don't know what Helen Reddy the Las Vegas years are, Keaton. I know you're a big music guy. Do you know have any idea what this is? No, I had to Google
1: it. I have no idea who Helen Riddy is.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, Jeff. Uh, probably uh, <laughs> a little bit more painful than this question was for us. <laughs> yeah, option C. <laughs> this question. <laughs> uh, Scott Nadell has our next one. He says, "Will they ever win again this year?" Um, yes, yeah, statistically speaking, yes. Uh, And I hope so because I have some workman shares. What do you think?
1: Well, Matt and I kind of joked on a previous podcast that the Marlins and Orioles had a really good chance of winning single digit games this year, and the
0: joke's on us. (laughs) Might be the Red Sox. Yeah, really. I mean, they already have six. That feels like a pretty high (laughs) number for them. Yeah, like two or three weeks from now, maybe we'll have nine. I don't know. (laughs) Pretty much. It's not great. Um, Jackson Posey the first of two uh, crazy questions, as usual. Uh, the world ends. Nice aliens help everyone escape to Mars. But soon after the Sox enter the interstellar vessel, the aliens realize that they're incapable of performing their jobs at a baseline uh, level and thus send them back. What's a post-apocalyptic Sox leadership hierarchy? Hmm. Um. I don't know, Keaton. You got any um, specific? Like, let's let's break this into a few different categories here. So, who would be like the overall leader, like the John Connor uh, of of the uh, Terminator world, but for the Red Sox uh, players? And who would be kind of like the second or third in command for this person?
1: Um, active roster only.
0: Now, anybody, I'm opening it up to anybody who currently gets paid by the Red Sox. All right, well, i would take Chris Sale, number one. I agree.
1: Nice. And then Bogarts as the second in command. Yep. And then, uh, I imagine Devers running around like,
0: <laughs> um, was it Donnie Thornberry from the Wild Thornberries? No, I don't know. I'm not a Wild Thornberry's guy, but you know, I trust you. Um, my third yeah, would yeah Thornberry is the little like
1: uh, Tasmanian devil Tarzan kind of kid. Oh, well, that kind of fits.
0: <laughs> um, I I would, would I would say my third in command would be uh, Workman because he's just like big and scary, and he would do things like anything you told him to do. I think he would do it. What about Evaldi? He seems too nice, man. I think he'd get smoked in an <laughs> apocalyptic world. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he get smoked like a fastball of his that's not elevated enough. Um, unfortunately, we've seen too many of those lately. Uh, Travis JPEG says, uh, With Devers' defense not looking so great, minus a few glimpses of hope, do you see him ever moving to DH uh, once some of the young talent is ready? What do you think
1: about that? Well, mm, yeah. I mean, I guess there's really only one, right? For assuming that uh, Costas is not going to play third. But
0: yeah, I think Costas is too big.
1: Yeah, so we're really just talking about Dalbuc, and I don't think. I mean, as long as J.D. Martinez is still here, then it's just not going to happen.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I guess. It could it's, happen if J D Martinez for some whatever reason opts out. Yeah. Then it could happen next year and we could see Dalbach at third and
0: Devers' is DH, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's gonna happen until Martinez isn't here anymore. So the Devers defense conundrum is really kind of annoying because he is good enough at defense and talented enough. Uh you know, he has the range, the arm, the ability to get to balls, um, all of that stuff he has, and we've seen him make really good plays. It's just not consistent. And it's a really difficult thing, I think, as an organization to make a move with your second best player, probably to, to, to Xander Bogarts, and move him off of an important defensive position just because he's not consistent. Because it's not one of these things where, like, he can't make the plays a la Pablo Sandoval. Like, he's just not consistent. no he isn't
1: um and i guess the, there's been reports that um so dalby's defense has been kind of better than they anticipated at the alternate site so that might might push them more to making a move but again I, the Jane martinez is still just a major roadblock to it but i think ultimately that's probably
0: the move that's going to end up happening just as soon as there's the opportunity for it um so you really do believe that Devers ends up moving off third? Yeah. Hmm. I'm not convinced yet. Uh, if I had to put a percentile chance on Devers moving off third in the next three years, I'd put it at 20%. Where would you be at? Whoa. So then what do you think is going to happen with Dalbach and Casas? I think Casas ends up playing first um, because I don't think he'll get up to the bigs before JD's contract runs out, because JD's got two years left potentially. Yeah. Um and I think Dahlbeck ends up being sort of a super utility role, and I think that Chavis is probably the guy who ends up being gone from the roster or playing second full time.
1: Yeah, All right, I guess that makes sense too. Yeah. But I mean I just think that if he continues I mean, does it happen last year too? Last year he got off to an incredibly slow start with the bat and the glove. Uh, and then, like, a flip completely switched from the second month on, and his defense improved, and so did his hitting. So maybe this is just like where Lester just has the, the worst first month possible. Maybe Devers is just the hitter version of that, where he just struggles for the first month, and we just kind of have to get used to it. But um, it certainly cost them runs, and potentially cost them games. Although I don't, <laughs> I don't think you're like. This year it would really matter all that much, but, um, if you end up, you know, making an error that leads to a winning run in like three games in the first month, and then you finish half a game back of the Yankees at the end of the year, then I mean, that's a problem.
0: Yeah. If anything, I could see them penalizing him by sitting him for a period of time or, um, I don't know, DHing him and playing G.A.D. in the field if G.A.D. is healthy or like something like that to basically say like this is not your job 100%. But I can't see them fully taking him away. I mean, are you over a 50% chance? I put it at 20% over the next three years. Where are you at? You think it's like 80%, 100%? Where are you at?
1: Uh, where where playing the majority of games at a different position.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In the next three years. Um. Yeah, I'd say over fifty percent. Okay. Wow. Because I mean, you made a you made a comment about second base, but there's also um, Jeter Downs. Yeah, on the way to complicate that situation as well. I mean, that could push Dalvik to third, divers to DH.
0: I think Jeter Downs has a non-zero chance of being the starter as soon as next year.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Yeah. Um, Charlie Foxtrot has our next question. He says, beyond the obvious pitching deficit, how much is the coaching to blame for the truly flaccid performance across the team? I think you and I are going to disagree on this, but I'm going to say 5%. 5%. I will say 20%, um, which, yeah, you're you're right. That's much higher um, than what you have. There's just a lot of underperformance across the roster, and I think some of it, um, doesn't have anything to do with Reneke. Like yeah. Devers, I think is slumping cause he's slumping. I think JD is slumping, um, because he is, I think JBJ is what he is. I think Christian Vasquez, I'm kind of surprised he's been super cold lately. Peraza just sucks. Ben Tendy is really going bad, but like everybody else is fine. Um, I guess I named half the team. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just think that it does start at the top and I get the sense that he is low energy compared to Cora's approach. Um, he just kind of seems old fashioned and I don't think he particularly fires up the guys. Um, and I think it kind of has passed to Xander Bogarts to be the motivator on the team and you know, your leadership can do that to some degree, but I don't think yours. Bogarts being the main voice they're hearing is probably a good thing. I think it's good to have another strong voice, and I don't see Renicky as a strong voice.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I just think so much of this falls on the pitching, even with the slumping hitters. So if you were to guess where the Red Sox rank in the American League in batting average,
0: what would your guess be? Uh just batting average, huh? Yes. Uh in the American League I'll guess tenth. They're fourth. Hmm. And wow. they
1: are uh one one hundredth of a point behind the Royals for third. Uh in runs scored, uh they're eighth, which is right in the middle of the mark. Uh in MLB, uh they're fifteenth in runs scored. The offense is actually scoring runs, even with all these guys slumping. It's just the pitching. When you like, they're essentially like scoring five runs a game, but giving up seven. Yeah. So it's like, it's the the pitching is just so bad, and it's it's not really Renicki's fault. I mean, he has what he has. He, there's right. certainly moves that we've talked about that we wish he would have made instead. But even if he brought Workman in in the tie game in the seventh, that doesn't mean that Barnes isn't going to blow it in the eighth. Yeah, I mean, so, if you're given a loaf
0: of bread and poop, you're going to make poop sandwiches.
1: <laughs> right <laughs> you know, I mean you may make like a couple open faced a couple normal sandwiches you might try dipping some, some of the sticks but it's the same meal either way
0: yeah it's not good um Deep Mo says why is the ownership insisting we are, we're still going to compete in a season that's already a third gone um I think he's referring to the the statement that was released by ownership but I didn't get that sense from the statement that was released by ownership I think they were saying, that like, we expected to compete and we need to do better with this current roster. But that there was also a line in there basically saying, like, we recognize that they don't have the pieces to be competitive this year.
1: Yeah, I didn't see the statement that was put out by ownership, but I just uh, I saw a transcript of Werner's comments when he was being interviewed. I don't know if that was the same thing or not. Yeah, but, that's the same, same oh, okay. deal. Yeah, he was basically saying that they expect to compete, not that he, they expected this team and it's in its current situation to compete. However, I, I also had a tweet um, yesterday or two days ago that I, I, w- I want to actually know what their expectation for the season was. I mean, you knew you weren't going to have sale regardless of
0: a global pandemic or not. Well, then, no, actually, that was part of the statement. Is they said oh. that we expected because remember the sale thing was in spring training. That was like two weeks into spring training that yeah. we finally got news that Sale was going down. So I think that they were expecting that the roster that they put out would include both Sale and Eduardo Rodriguez.
1: I mean, I, I disagree with that. Um, they I and mean, Sam Kennedy even admitted after, in one of the many press conferences after the Mookie trade, that without Price and Mookie, this team is has significantly less talented, and they didn't make the playoffs last year. They didn't make any moves to... Address the hole that David Price left in uh the rotation. So I don't know how they could look at that roster and thought that that was a team that could compete for a World Series.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think. If I if I had to guess, I don't think that they thought they could compete for a World Series. I do think that they thought there was a non-zero chance that they could compete for a wild card spot. Um But nonetheless, like that statement definitely didn't say they think they can still compete this year. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, Dirty Water Rants says, did you ever wonder what Bobby Valentine is doing these days? No. Even a little. Yeah, no, I don't care about that man uh, at all. Like even a tiny bit. I could not care less. Uh, Matt Tobin says, what Major League team will you be covering now? Um, Maybe insinuating that the Red Sox aren't playing like a Major League team, which is quite accurate. Um, Keaton, if you could cover any other team for this season, who would you choose and why? White Sox. Because your hometown White Sox.
1: Yeah, they have some electric young fellas on that team, and I would love to actually like – be able to commit to seeing uh, Luis Robert and Hilo Jimenez and our, our man, Yohan Moncada, every mm. day and just watch watch them have an enormous amount of fun playing the game of baseball. I don't remember what it's like to have fun and what like watch guys have fun playing baseball. So I like to be reminded and watch that young core. So, I think, I mean, San Diego is also a great option for this because of again, the young players that they have and what Tatis is doing right now, and they've got some really great young arms too. So I guess I would would, uh, gravitate towards um, some up-and-coming electric young teams like the White Sox the Padres.
0: Those are fine choices. Um, I would choose, um, because I'm obsessed with pitching, I would choose the Cleveland Indians. Well, they're missing two of those guys right now.
1: That wouldn't be so much fun.
0: Well, that stinks. But guess what else? <laughs> you still get to watch Aaron Savali and Shane Bieber um, yeah. pitch, and Cookie, who's awesome. So, God. yeah, it's crazy that they have so many good pitchers. Yeah, it's absurd. Um, so, yeah, that would be my pick. But um, runner-up, probably the Minnesota Twins, who's just super fun. Yeah, all oh, fun team too. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. Fish Stripes, the Miami Marlins SB Nation account. Thanks for the question, Fish Stripes. They say yes or no. Daniel Castano would be the eighth of the Red Sox rotation right now. Keaton, would he or would he not be?
1: Well, if it wasn't for your boy, Martin Perez, I would say yes. Um,
0: Do you have Castano's stats in front of you? I looked him up earlier.
1: I And mean, a four and a half ERA is a significant improvement on top of anybody but Perez. So... So yeah. yeah. Six strikeouts and in ten innings. I'd love
0: it. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty pretty accurate. Um I would put him talent wise, probably behind both Ivaldi and Perez, but like uh, he's definitely playing better than Ivaldi right now, so yeah. Yeah. Let's rock. Let's rock with Castano. <laughs> yeah, bring it on, man. Uh, the Miami Marlins have like a sneaky good little thing going on over there, and uh, I'm I'm kind of here for it. Uh, Pablo Lopez, if you haven't watched Pablo Lopez and his beautiful changeup, like tune into a, a Miami Marlins game. It's really something. The Tua of Dolphins or whatever, basically their quarterback combined with the name Dolphins. Um. <laughs> Says, when are they going to sign Brian Johnson again?
1: Well, we kind of talked about this last time, and um, given the state of the pitching staff and needing people to get to ends, I was surprised that he wasn't there. And then they, I think, kind of like mutually agreed to just give him his release because he wasn't playing for this terrible team. Um, so I guess he would be pitching with them if they intended to have him on the roster at all. So I guess probably they won't. I agree.
0: I don't have anything to add there. Yeah. Andrew Amir has our next question. He says any chance Evaldi gets traded, Keaton, he's got an almost six ERA. Do you think he yeah. gets traded?
1: Well they should have <laughs> tried oh. to spin a deal after the second start. Um I mean sure, yeah, there's a chance. Um no one's paying seventeen and a half million for a ERA over six or almost six. Luckily they don't have to this year. Well, I mean, I guess, yeah, they're paying the prorated equivalent, but uh, he's still got two years on the books at that price, so so. he's going to have to have, uh, I mean, he's only got two starts between now and the trade deadline. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I mean, he would have to, like, throw really great outings to be a deadline deal maker, and the Red Sox are basically going to have to take pennies on the dollar for it, so sure there's a chance, but maybe... I'm going to go
0: 12.5%. Yeah, I think that's about right, percentage-wise. The thing that I think is interesting is if some team really likes what they saw from Eovaldi in 2018 pitching out of the pen, he's super interesting as a multi-inning pen arm, Um, if you're a contending team. And considering that they wouldn't have to pay him much at all this season because you'd be paying a prorated version of a prorated version of his salary. Um, and the Red Sox might cover some of the remainder of his deal. It might become enticing to a team that thinks like they're missing yep. that type of piece. Um, Hackashack Sabbath says, quite simply, why? Keaton, why? I agree. Yeah, okay. Me too. Um, around the Diamond Podcast has our next question. He says, start, bench, cut. 2004 World Series, 2013 World Series, or 2018 World Series. So he just cut 2007 right out of there, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting choice. Um, 2007 gets no love around here, even though they were dominant as hell. Uh, Keaton, how you, how you doing this one? I mean, 2004
1: just means too much, so I'm going to start it. Yep, I'm gonna bench 2013 and I'm gonna cut
0: 2018 because it's a little, it's a little tainted. It's a little tainted. Hundred percent agree. Um, you can't take away 2013 um, with what that team meant to the city. And uh, 2018, I don't particularly feel like that World Series is lesser. Like it, that it doesn't count or something like that. You know, they were dominant for so much of that year.
1: Um, I was, agree, but at the same time, like the 108 wins gets a little foggy. And just the entire dominance of that season yeah. gets a little foggy, so I
0: gotta cut it. I agree with that um, versus these two. I just kind of... I think that there's something to be said about the maybe like 20... 15 to 2020, or, you know, 2015 to, like, 2019 seasons look being looked at sort of as the technology era seasons because there were so many teams that got caught doing something that they weren't supposed to do uh, during those years that I, I kind of look at it as, like, a miniature version of the steroid era. Like, we just really don't know how many teams... We're doing this, but the rumors have been substantial with the use. So I agree; like it's not as important as the other two, but I don't know that. At I... the same
1: time, the Red Sox did get caught twice.
0: Yeah, they did, and <laughs> you know it. That says one of two things to me: either they were doing it more than other teams, or you know, as a team that won four World Series and. The 2000s that they were looked at under a bigger microscope. Yeah, I don't know. Probably a little of both. Probably both things are true. Uh, Mark Rush has our next question. He says, "What would this team have looked like in no pandemic? Just as bad? Would the manager still look like he was over his head?"
1: I don't know if it would be just as bad because you'd have a healthy Erod.
0: Yeah. Uh, contract
1: year. So, I guess, I mean, you could reasonably expect um, a solid chunk of success for him, uh, which would, I mean, I know it's one guy and this pitching staff is pretty terrible, but, um, I mean, he was your ace, so that definitely adds a shade to it. I don't think it's good, and I definitely don't think it's making the playoffs, even if the playoffs are um, expanded, but it would not be this bad.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, the big man says, "I'm not emotionally ready to watch the Red Sox trade JD after they traded the player formerly known as Mookie. Um, they won't do it to us, will they?" Well,
1: I think uh, he is still known as Mookie.
0: But... Yeah, that hasn't changed. He's just not our Mookie anymore. He's hitting three <laughs> ding dongs for the Dodgers now and tying yeah. Major League records. So that's fun. Um, he also has an OPS over a thousand for those keeping track at home. Um Keaton, are you still with us with that? I'm not sure if that that puts yeah, you no, out of your misery. Uh was just trying to get my cat to stop meowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, um but I don't think that they will trade JD this off season uh, or this trade deadline. Um but I think that they will explore it in the off season. Yeah, I mean
1: I guess they could. Um, this season, no. Just he's way too valuable, and they're just not going to get anything for you know what could just be less than a month. For the guy, um, but then again, whatever you think that you might get, you probably won't get if he's traded next season because he has another opt out. So it may only be for one year, unless you can somehow guarantee like if he's traded, he's not going to use his opt out and you get him for two years. So it's I think it's going to be tough to move him because of the questions on how long you would end up having him for. Uh, and his price tag. So I think of the guys that we talk about as options for being traded, I think he's probably the least likely.
0: Yeah, I think especially with the fact that he has not looked very good here um, in the early going, that hurts his value. So I will say it's not not super likely. But also, I think for for the big man here, you just got to – wrap your head around this uh, that J.D. Martinez is probably not going to be part of the next really good Red Sox team. I just don't think that that's in the cards. Maybe it is, but I don't know. What do you think? Do you think the next like 90-win Red Sox team has him on it?
1: I think there's a chance in the last year of his deal. I mean, um, next year I don't think they... I just think it's going to be hard to make all of the changes that they need to. I mean, if they don't address the bullpen again that's going to be a problem. Even if they sign Trevor Bauer and add him to the rotation and you have a healthy Chris Sale at some point, I don't expect much from the team next year. But that last year, if the last year of his contract, if they're given, if you know Bloom basically has like two years at this point to put together a bullpen and put together a pitching rotation and you would still have the same young core of hitters that you do now, probably plus Jeter Downs, that's the best chance. Wouldn't shock me if that that 2022 20, team,
0: was 90 wins. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that either. Jackson Posey finishes out the podcast with his second question. He says, if you hypothetically were chased around Fenway by baboons, where would you hide? Hypothetically, of course.
1: Um, I would say on the field because with the extended netting, um, they'd probably just kind of get stuck climbing it instead of working their way around it. Hmm. hmm. So like standing right at home plate, draw their attention. I guess that's assuming that they didn't also start out on the field with me, <laughs> like I'm assuming we're both starting out on the concourse, and I just immediately sprint onto the field,
0: yeah, if they're on the field with you, that's pretty bad news <laughs> yep um, yeah, baboons is a tough one because um they're fast and they can climb uh, I would say one of on the luxury suites because they're sort of contained.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking maybe inside the monster, because you could, like, close the door and maybe kind of keep them out. But that sounds like a terrible place to wait out a baboon attack. Luxury suite seems much more comfortable.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it probably smells like Manny's (laughs) urine inside there. It's probably not the best smell. Um, No. Yeah. Which I feel like
1: it could go either one of two ways of it, like, repels them, or it
0: just, like, extra attracts them to the monster. Yeah, I don't know, maybe uh, Manny uh, smells like the dominant male, so he will, you know, push them away, because he was pretty scary when he was up there at the plate, um, but also, I don't know, maybe maybe it doesn't go that way. Maybe the smell of Manny's urine has faded after all these years. Well, I can't believe we're ending the podcast by talking about Manny Ramirez's urine, but here we are. Um, it's probably <laughs> the best topic we could have talked about tonight. Um, uh, that has been your red seat podcast. You can find both Keaton and I on Twitter. You can find Keaton at the spoken Keats. You can find me at, at Doug Jake. You can find the over the monster account at, at over the monster. Be sure to check out the rest of the podcasts on our over the monster podcast network. Um, uh, Matt and I have an untitled show, uh, that comes out every Wednesday. Uh, that's basically, uh, just Matt and I talking about the red Sox. Um, we get pretty in the weeds on that one sometimes. Keaton and Shelly, uh, Shelly versus um, who is also on this network with us through the precap podcast where they review and pre preview uh, the upcoming and former Red Sox series. Um, that's a good one to check out. Um, and also, there's a lot of new content on overthemonster.com that you can read uh, all the time. So tune into all that good stuff, rate and review us. We always appreciate that. And make sure you are subscribed to the podcast wherever you're listening to this episode. We thank you very much. And uh, for Keaton, this is Jake Devereaux saying thanks for listening. Bye.